Welcome to Girls Camp. It's Haley Rawl, your host, and I am bringing you a really lovely conversation today with one of my friends, Jenna Rammel. Jenna and I go way back, which we touch briefly on during this episode. She is the founder and CEO of a skincare company called The Daily Essential Co. She is a wife and mother. She has four kids, her oldest being 15, and she went through a faith transition, which she opens up about today. I loved not only hearing Jenna's story, but learning from Jenna. She is a couple steps ahead on her life journey. She has older children, and she was married for a longer time when she went through her faith transition, and I just learned so much from her and so appreciated her opening up about her thoughts on being Mormon, leaving the faith, what that has looked like and felt like for her. It's a really rich and wonderful conversation, and I think you're going to love it. So without further ado, here is the conversation with Jenna. Welcome, Jenna, to Girls Camp. Thank you. This does feel very full circle because we go way back. (laughs) We do. And I've been thinking about you. I mean, I've followed you since... I met you, which was, I was probably 15, 16. Yeah, little. Very little. Yeah. And I remember then just being so enamored by you. And you, Same. I was oh enamored my gosh, by you. That's so sweet. <laughs> I loved, because I was dating your husband's little brother in yeah. high school, and I loved how I feel like you always treated me just like a peer when you were like, married and you had two kids at that point and I just thought you were so cool but you just like treated me like a friend and I thought it was so sweet it meant a lot to me then and I'm so glad then I've just we've kind of been able to watch each other's journeys and now here we are yeah it's fun to be here good thank you so much. yes of course I'm so excited we are just going to talk through your story and there's lots to get into as always before we do so if you could just introduce yourself just what you do right now like where you live just kind of like the general overview and then we'll jump into the mormon stuff perfect my name is jenna rammel i live in orem exotic exotic orem utah (laughs) (laughs) and i would say i'm a wife of 18 years i have four kids ages 15 to 5 and i'm a business owner so i started out kind of influencing and doing that sort of community building gig. And now it's really developed into a beautiful experience of developing a skincare brand. And that's what I am CEO of now. So we, we create plant-based products that are safe and non-toxic. And it's been really a fun adventure to move into more of that space of owning a business and entrepreneurship and yeah. Crazy, wild, but really, really fun to see where, honestly, the internet has taken me. It's such a cool, powerful space. And I felt a lot of like weirdness being on the internet at first because I was kind of the you're, only one I yeah, knew. Yeah, you were one the of time. the OGs. Yeah. Like you started really early on. Yeah. Really early on. But now I, it's cool to have followed that intuition. Awesome. So, yeah. And so cool where you've grown it. I, I'm sure we'll end up there along the journey, yeah. but I'm excited to talk about the, female entrepreneurship thing, being a CEO and how that I can imagine plays in in some ways to the faith journey too, because I think that's not necessarily a traditional route. I mean, more and more women are doing that, but I've always admired that as well, because I feel like you're a trailblazer by doing what you've done, which is super cool. That's so kind. 
Okay, so let's talk about the Mormonism of it all. If you could just give some context on kind of what your upbringing was like with the church, any context on, you know, what kind of Mormon you were growing up, what family life was like, just the general overview of growing up as Jenna. I've been thinking so much about this, like in preparation for coming here. And it's so funny because I feel like I have this duality kind of childhood, Mm. right? We grew up very traditional Mormon. I mean, did the things, the family home evening, the the regular scripture study. My dad held all the callings. We always went to church. We didn't break the Sabbath. I mean, very, I would say, structured and um, very traditional by the, book, yeah. by the book. Yeah. No kind of leeway there. Mm. At the same time, we lived overseas with my dad's work. So we lived in the Middle East. So we were surrounded by Muslims and Jews and Palestinians, Israelis, everyone, different walks of life all the time. And we were exposed to those religions. My parents would take us to mosques. They would take us to synagogues. They would, they were very open mm. in this way to other religions and people. And yeah. so I have this weird duality where I'm like, ah, I was definitely – I guess, sheltered in a sense through the religion. However, through my parents, they lived a very non-traditional Mormon uh, life, if that yeah. makes sense. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> no, that's so interesting because, uh, you know, when we start talking about where you are now, I've often found, I think sometimes people who do the very traditional Mormon thing, but more so in this way of like, oh, we are one religion amongst many, I think it can be maybe easier to, even if you're having questions or concerns, maybe to stay because you kind of view Mormonism in more of a grand scheme of things way, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Like I can imagine growing up, you're like, no, this is what we're learning these things. We do these things. But you're also seeing so many people have different ways of doing that. Yeah. Like I, I used to look at, you know, just this one, the truth claims of one true church. And I would hear that and I would just kind of disassociate from that because Mm. I knew so many beautiful people who had such truth and direction and purpose and wholeness in their life and in their families. Yeah. And so I kind of was like, oh, okay, like we're saying this here, but I didn't necessarily believe that Mm. because... This other part of my life taught me otherwise. Yeah, you had so much evidence otherwise. Yeah. yeah. Was your whole childhood and like adolescence spent abroad then? So in and out of Utah. So it was like we would go to Utah in the summers. We would go to Utah and live there for a few years, come back. Kind of like a lot of back and forth, Mm. a lot of travel in between. But then we landed there kind of when I was 14 all the way Okay, for a good amount of time. Mm -hmm, Yeah, all the way through high school and then college and all that. Got it. And what brought your parents to the Middle East? My dad, I think it's kind of a long story, but basically he decided that he wanted to learn Arabic. He felt like that that learning Arabic would give him a job forever. It was like kind of an intuition that he had. Mm. And so he went to Harvard and got his Middle Eastern Studies Arabic. Like I say casually, he's just like the coolest guy. Yeah, wow. Um, Very smart, very well-read well-published, just a really, but also so humble, so kind, so loving. I mean, he's just the best person. Mm. So that brought him to the Middle East to do research, to work with the church, to work as a BYU professor. Like 
over in Jordan, hosting students, like a, kind of a myriad of things, but always sort of connected with the church. Yeah. Okay. Super yeah. interesting. When you're speaking about that, like dissociation from the one true church thing growing up, you know, maybe as you're getting a little older, becoming a teen, do you feel like that caused you dissonance and discomfort or were you kind of always able to just let go of that piece of it, not see it so literally? I guess I'm curious more like what that felt like to be doing the Mormon thing, but also being like, wait, maybe that's not making total sense. Yeah, I think I'm just kind of a easygoing sort of casual person in general. So Mm. I kind of was listening to the stuff and being like, but also maybe not like, you know, I, I was also like finding a way out in my brain all the time. I'm a deeply empathetic person. And so I would see these marginalized and these minorities and see how they wouldn't fit within that framework of the church. And I, I just would choose to unsubscribe all the time. Yeah. I remember when I married Andrew, he was definitely more literal, more black and white. And I would just make jokes like, Oh, I thought that was like urban legend. (laughs) I didn't think that was actually real or wait, do people actually believe that? (laughs) So I don't know if it was dissonance, but I just, always knew that wasn't true for me. Yeah, totally. And totally. yet I still felt comfort in the church. I loved my experience there. I had a good experience there. Yeah. I loved my leaders. I loved girls camp. I, To an extent, yeah. girls camp. I feel the same way. I'm like lots and lots of good, some lots, weird, but mostly yes, good. <laughs> like lots of good things happened to me. And I think that's what makes my story unique in a sense mm. is that I – didn't have this terrible, bad experience while I was in it. Yeah. You know, I didn't realize what was happening. I just knew it didn't fit for me totally. Yeah. But I was just doing the things I thought I was truly conditioned to believe were the best things for me. Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like you really connected with the community element of it all along. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah, I can definitely relate. I think it is different because you had all of that exposure, which sounds like such a beautiful, lovely way to grow up, by the way, to have that exposure to be around different cultures and different religions. When did you end up back in Utah then? Eighth grade. Do you remember at that age? I know that's still quite young. Do you remember it feeling like kind of a culture shock? Like, was it so different? Yeah, I bet. Feeling like I was so different. Mm. I didn't wear the right things. I didn't look the right way. I didn't say the things that I was supposed mm. to, you know? I hadn't been there like the others had been there. Yeah. And I'm grateful now looking back at that experience and how that shaped me and helped me grow. Mm. And yeah, it was really diff- a different experience for me. I I, I then was surrounded by everyone like me. Mm-hmm. And that was sad. That was sad. I think about that a lot with my kids being here. Yeah. Is so much of what I love about myself is because of that exposure to so many different people. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I know. Bentley and I think about that a lot of so many wonderful, wonderful things about Utah, truly. But the diversity is just so severely lacking. And I think it's getting better. I do think it's getting better. And, you know, with, I know you've been in and out of Utah even since then, but I've seen a lot of positive change here, but it just, 
is unfortunately the case that there really is a lack of diversity on so many levels and religious especially. Yeah. Okay, so you're now in Utah. What did you do after you graduated high school? Did you go to school? Is that when you met Andrew? What happened next? Yeah, so I went to BYU. I did the thing. Mm. And I was there about a year when I met Andrew. What's funny is that he's from Provo too. So we're both from Provo. Yeah. I mean, we live a mile from each other. Like Crazy. both shopped at Day's Market. But you, you never know? met before then. Never met before then. It was like the thing where he came back from his mission and all the little sisters were like hot, you know? And yeah. He's like, like, wait a second. <laughs> yeah, like, wait, you guys were like... 15 places and now I'm in yeah 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 (laughs) so it was that kind of story where my best friend's brother was one of his best friends okay got it yeah so we met and we met at a BYU football game actually cute and it was it really was love at first sight with Andrew Mm. for me like it really was I'm grateful for that part of my life and we you know we I mean how far do we want to get into that yeah tell me like how old were you how long did you date I was 19 when we met 20 when we got married it's freaking crazy to me now crazy I know (laughs) I literally like 20 as well yeah I'd be interested to know the actual like rates of divorce and things in the I church know. because it's really a and I and I do hope the average age is getting older. I sense yeah. that it is. I, I think so, at least by a couple years. Yeah. yeah, I don't have the statistics for that, but I but I do hope that yeah. because I feel like I always say I just got really lucky and we've worked really hard and had a lot of therapy and a lot of work within our marriage. So I say that with a grain of salt, but in the end, we're just compatible and really like each other and love mm, each other. Yeah. And I could not have known that at age 20. No, it's, I genuinely think this is not to diminish the hard work. And I'm sure you can speak to this so well because you've been married longer than I have. I do think it takes a lot of work. I also think there's a significant amount of it that is luck of the draw. <laughs> 100%. Truly luck I of the draw. I don't even know what I was looking for. I I wasn't even really thinking about it. Yeah, tall and hot, and he (laughs) swallowed me whole when he hugged me. Yeah, you're like like, I love that for me. (laughs) Like I, but he was sweet and his he was kind and his family is good and I love the energy there. Yeah, familiar with that? Yes, totally. And lots of siblings and I come from just one brother and I there were so many things I was drawn to. Yeah. But the things that I value and love in him now, I was not looking for. Yes, that's such a good Truthfully. way of putting it. Yeah. And I'm sure... I didn't know those things. Totally. <laughs> and I'm sure he's changed a lot, as have you. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which I'm excited to get into because I think, yeah, Bentley and I, we went through a faith transition together, but it was pretty early on in our marriage. So we didn't have as many habits that were built around right. church going. And anyway, I think that being able to navigate that together after you've built more habits with your kids and stuff, I can imagine there's a lot there. Okay, you meet Andrew, you get married about a year later. Yeah. When did you have Quinn, your first? So I we we were married three years before we had him, which I love that. Yeah, congrats. for us. Nice. Yeah. I feel like that's long and more. Yeah, Land. totally. I did have a miscarriage first. So I think mm. that prolonged that experience. And I remember thinking everyone's getting pregnant. And I was 23 when I had him. It felt like I was aging. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Like it was happening and people were moving on without me. And it was this desperate feeling of wanting to be a part of that. But Mm. as much as I, I will say and, not but, and as much as I love 
every single one of my kids. I feel it was a very unconscious decision. Mm. I don't remember being intentional. I just, it was just what we were doing. Totally. And I love that I did it because I love being a mom and I love them so much. I just don't know looking back that I was really aware and maybe you're not within or out of religion. I don't know. Yeah, I know. I've I wondered that know my too. experience. Yeah. But it felt like I we're just doing this. And so I dropped out of BYU. I, you know, yeah. the whole thing, I didn't pursue. It was never that I was going to have a career. Mm. I, I, my mom has a career. My, my, I have a working mom, so I don't know. And that was very important to them, education, but it just never really clicked for me. It was never... I don't know. I I can't figure out that part of my life. It feels like a long time ago, yeah. but it felt like I was sort of in a haze, I guess, if I were to explain it. Yeah. I'm so glad you spoke to that because Bentley and I, the other day, we were like having a hard day, had a hard night. We were in the car together, had a babysitter. And we were like, oh my gosh, like as much. And I was, I did IVF. So I was doing infertility for three. Like I had a lot of time to think about it. And I'm still, I was 26 when I had my twins. I'm still so glad I did. I still am realizing how much of the desperation to get pregnant and get pregnant when I did was programming. Yeah. And I was even out of the church kind of at that point. And it's a really interesting thing to look at your life and be like, I'm so glad that things are the way they are. But it's also strange that I was kind of just doing the things that I've essentially been conditioned to do and that the people around me were doing. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. How would you characterize your years of motherhood? Like you have Quinn, you had Jude pretty soon after? Two years after. Two years after. So I had my second son. Very traditional. Just I stayed at home. I, you know, we were broke as can be. I remember like, I love that time, actually. We mm. were like in a townhouse situation. We had neighbors. I knew all those people from church. At that time, we all went to church. Like that was, that's how you knew your neighborhood. And yeah, 100%. I still think that's often the case. And, you know, we would watch The Bachelor and put the kids down at seven o'clock, you know, and, and yeah. all of that life, you yeah. know. And, but it was beautiful in a sense, but Andrew traveled a ton. I was on my own a ton. I, I did a lot by myself. And it was really, really challenging. My parents kind of dipped in and out of the Middle East and other countries with church callings yeah. and things like that. So I did a lot of it alone. And it was really, really hard. Really yeah. hard. But kind of, it, we all kind of experienced those beginning days of motherhood. And yeah, I think that story is really similar, especially for like, I think, I guess I can't speak to everyone else, but for Mormons because you're so young and you're not established. People don't have careers. You know, Andrew was out there selling alarms. Yeah. You know, he has no career really in a sense. Yeah. And we're just figuring it out as we go. Yeah. With kids already. Yeah. Right. It can yeah. be a lot. With kids in tow moving. So yeah, we then began that process of moving to different states, selling alarms. So we moved a ton with those little kids. Yeah. yeah. All over the US. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot as a young mom. Yeah. What do you feel like was going on with your faith at that point? You mentioned you're going to church. You have that community aspect. For me, it's for me, it's what I know and I'm doing it and I'm proud of it. And I I like being there. I was always in questioning. I mm. never really understood so much of it, but I suppressed all of that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, Andrew was very black and white, like I said, it served a mission. I kind of always felt like, well, they've just had more experience than me. They've gone on a mission. My, my mom, my dad, my my husband, you know, they they just, their testimony is bigger. It's mm. bolder. It's stronger. And I'll get there. Eventually, I'm just not there yet. And I remember like feeling such anger going to church on Sunday. And I always associated that with the little kids and being out in the foyer and getting them dressed and like the hardship of that. Yeah. And I realize now that so much of that was just an unalignment in me. And I was kind of chalking it up to like the kids are small and it's just hard. Yeah. Haven't taken them bigger. I can tell you like the feeling was the same for me. Yeah. It wasn't really about. Yeah. Yeah. I just kind of placed it on there. However, moving all over the U.S., it's the most beautiful community. You have someone to help you move. You have someone to bring you dinner. I mean, that's the part of it that I... I loved. Totally. Is a belonging. Totally, especially moving. You, oh, yeah. You really don't even have to worry about, it's been interesting, I talk to people now who've left the church that are moving for their first time, like out of Utah. Like, oh my gosh, I've never done that. Even when we moved to San Francisco, we were still in the church. You don't even really think about, how am I going to meet people? How am I going to tap into community? Because you just go to church. It's really kind of given to you in a really lot of ways. Easy. Yeah. 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 Okay. So you're feeling like you're kind of relying on, it sounds like testimonies around you, but doing the thing. When did things start to shift for you into really questioning? I call it the beginning of the end. It sounds like you already (laughs) have some of that questioning, but was there a moment or a series of things that happened where you started to be like, hmm, like I'm really not so sure about this? Yeah. I think I told you this story where I hadn't really delved into any sort of church history. I didn't really know much about it. I don't, I know, I know we're different ages, but not too, how old are you? I'm 28. How okay. So you? we're 10 years apart. Okay. I, I don't remember learning a lot of church history. I'm also severely ADD. So I'm like, did I soak it in? Did I not? Was no, it taught? I I'm feel not the sure. same way. I feel the same way where I'm like, I, some things sound familiar, yeah. but I'm like, maybe I learned young enough that it didn't like set off bells. I don't know. It's a I, weird thing. It yeah. is. And I know a lot more about church history now than I ever same. did in yep, the church. Same. But I remember, I think I told you the story that we were teaching this little Sunday school yes. class. I think we yes. had two kids at the time. Yeah. And I remember the book was blue. I, so any experts out there can <laughs> name the year. Can figure out what it was. But, yeah. Um, we were teaching gospel doctrine. And in a sense, it was probably the DNC that year. Right. Mm. And I remember reading about the breastplates and and that kind of just Joseph Smith and, and all of that. And I remember laying in bed with Andrew and we were like going over the lesson and I just looked at him and I said, none of this is true. <laughs> I really don't think this happened. Yeah. And he laughed because like, he just, <laughs> he just yeah. laughed and I was like, but I'll go tomorrow and I'll tell them. Yeah. Because that's what the book says. But I just want you to know, like, I don't think this is true. Yeah. And even in my mind, I'm still like, I just don't think it's true yet. Mm. I don't think it's true yet. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know why. I just always had this faith, I guess, Mm. that I would arrive at this place of knowing. Yeah. And looking at my parents now, I have so much evidence of a life that that looking back at it, it was never about Mormonism. 
Like Mm. what they taught me was about love and faith and kindness and humanity and acceptance and peace. And these things we did brought us to those things. But I think my parents didn't didn't give themselves enough credit maybe or don't still. Mm. I don't know. I think they're just really loving, wonderful Mm. people. And I don't think that really has anything to do with the church. But maybe they would say otherwise. But... I feel like I was, I got those things. Those things clicked with me. Like we love everybody. Yes. We accept everybody 100%. But like these little histories and truth claims and rules. And I remember I was like a no on the kingdoms. Like I, Mm. I was like, that's not true. No, there's not kingdoms. And I'm not, we're all going to the same place. Yeah. We're all going to heaven. It's going to be fine. (laughs) Yeah. We will all like, don't worry about it. Do your best. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll see you there. Yeah. You know, or I would joke like, I'll probably be in the lower, but but you can come and we'll <laughs> yeah, say you hi. can visit me anyway. Like, yeah. I, so for me, it was like kind of making jokes of it, making not fun of it, but just kind of that's the way I cope. Yeah. It's like I just unsubscribed. Like polygamy, no thanks. This, no thanks. You know, whatever it was, I just had a way mm-hmm. of unsubscribing versus Andrew, who never did anything like that. Mm, he was he, a literal he it's subscribed. All, yeah. And then when he decided to unsubscribe, it was like, you know, and we can get into that. But I was different in that way. I'm not, that was a tangent. I'm not even sure what that question. No, 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 no. That's a fantastic way of describing it. There's so much there. I'm thinking of the Sunday school lesson and there's so much there because I think to me, it speaks to what I think can sometimes happen in any group, in any religion but of even this kind of groupthink element where you even said, like, I don't really think this is true, but I'm going to just probably go teach it because it's like, it's what it says and it's what I guess we're all believing. Just kind of thinking about how, I don't know, I wonder how many people were never quite literally believing certain things or never really thinking about certain things in a literal way. And I can relate so much where I feel like so much of my deconstruction process, like you were joking about with Andrew, was like, oh, wait, people actually think that's real and true. Yeah, People actually think we're going to be separated into kingdoms and you get to be happier and have God and love because of X, Y, Z. Yeah, And I had never really, really thought of it that way. And I think I did the same thing you did where I was just able to kind of like unsubscribe and then it was really interesting because when I was talking to people when I was still in the church and some of my friends started leaving they started to say well Haley you know what you're believing is xyz and I'm like well I don't believe that and they're like well then you don't believe Mormonism and I'm like well I do but it's different (laughs) and I have lots of thoughts on that because I think like if you're in the church but you're unsubscribed from some things and that works for you and you're at peace that's totally fine. And that's your journey. But it was interesting to kind of confront like the reality, I guess, of what I was believing. And not only in these kind of doctrinal, you know, what happens after we die, but in the sense of, oh, these things that we're talking about, the three kingdoms, for example, that actually impacts LGBTQ people now in a very real, tangible way. And I don't know if this was your experience, but that's where that rub started to get really significant for me was I can unsubscribe from that, but can a 13-year-old who's gay and is learning that unsubscribe in the same way? 
Yeah, I that was a huge piece of my undoing was when my cousin Adam came out. Mm. And I was young. I hadn't had kids yet, but we were married. And hopefully Andrew doesn't mind me telling me the story because he's a completely different person <laughs> now. But I remember Adam served a mission. And I remember Andrew, when, when this all came out, Andrew was like, but we have to remind him of his covenants that he's made. Mm. You know, and Andrew was just regurgitating like what he totally. knew. Totally. And yeah. I remember feeling fire, fire in my body. Like, no. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> like what we have to remind Adam of is how loved he is. Mm. That was true for me. And that there were just these little things like that. And that wasn't little for me. And Adam recently passed away, and that was super, super hard for me because we were really close. And I wish so bad I could have said, I, um, this was wrong. And, and mm. you were wronged by all of us, I feel, in a sense. Mm-hmm. And I know we thought we were doing our best to love you, but it's really hard when you are subscribing to something that doesn't accept him fully yeah and that that's I have a lot of pain in that Mm. so yeah that was one of my big ones yeah still is yeah thank you for sharing that that's really powerful because I think yeah for a lot of us that's when push comes to shove right you can maybe be in this more nuanced space which in my mind in some ways is a privilege because some people aren't even allowed to be in that nuanced space. And I think you spoke to that so, so beautifully. And yeah, I think there's a lot of people that would relate to that kind of deconstruction experience and that regret that you speak to because I have so much of that as well. And it can be a really hard thing to sit with of like, I mean, I always want to give us the... (laughs) The grace of we were, as you said, we were loving as best we knew how, but still I do think it fell short in some ways. And I think that that's an important thing to acknowledge. So I really appreciate you saying that. It sounds like you were kind of deconstructing pretty early on. I'm surprised by that. I don't, I don't think I told you this, but I, I mean, you're on the internet. So you, we can talk about too, like how you got into that and how that relates to the faith stuff. But It's interesting watching, like having relationships with people and then, you know, you kind of follow along on Instagram and things. I was, I still am, A, very surprised you left at all. And B, I feel like things were happening a lot sooner for you than I would have ever guessed based on like the internet, which of course is just the internet. But it, it surprises me that you were like dealing with some of that like so early on in your journey. Yeah, I felt and still feel really private about all of it. Um, at first, because the questioning just, I didn't know anyone else yeah. questioning their faith. Yeah. I l- literally did not know one single person. And so when I would bring things up to Andrew, I remember a few years later being like, I don't think this is before anything with church and finances came out being like, I was starting to work with charities, you know, by the, by now we'd probably have Lolly. I was working with charities and and I was just like, I just think I want to donate my money here. You know, I'm working with these refugees and like locally in Provo and they need toilet paper and they need this and they need that. And I would just rather take these funds that we're paying the church and I I know how they're going to be used here and they need it. Yeah. And I remember just pushing kind of these 
boundaries, stopped wearing my garments long ago, like before it would just go longer every kid, you know, a baby was a good excuse not to wear them. And then my mom would just kind of be like, do you need me to, she's just the sweetest and best. And she would never tell me what to do, but she's just like, do you want me to take you to get some garments? I'm like, no mom, I'm good. You know, I was always kind of pushing that limit within, but still fully, I guess in, you could say, yeah. but just like, I knew no other way, which is so mind blowing to me Yeah, because I'm really smart and I, my parents taught us to think and for ourselves and to open our minds and nothing about looking back, not nothing, but it is surprising to Mm. me how I did not see another way. Yeah. This was the way we were going. Yeah. This is what Andrew and I chose in together. Mm -hmm. This is what we are doing. This is what our ancestors have done. We're both from pilgrim lineage. Like this is what we're doing. Yeah. you just We know no other way. Totally. So I thought there was no other way. Yeah. So you just make it work. So I was making a religion within a religion, which you spoke to before. Mm. And that's great for some people. And it was great for me for a really long time. Yeah. I was able to just unsubscribe and choose and, and form a new Mm -hmm. way for myself. Yeah. Make it work. Yeah. What ultimately then led you to not be able to make it work or to choose, I guess, to stop doing it that way. Yeah. To be honest, I, in 2019, I feel like it's really, really started to come to a head in 2019. Mm. I just was felt like I was just rubbed in so many ways. I can't really pinpoint it. I did not read the CES letter. I still have not read the CES letter. Mm. I feel like I know exactly what's in it. Yeah. But I feel like that's kind of the opening for a lot of people. Totally. I read the CES letter, but like, I kind of love that part of my story Mm. is I didn't get angry first. Mm. I just felt this feeling of like, what am I doing? I have so many questions and we're taught that questions we need more faith for those questions. Mm-hmm. And it stopped being like, I'm not a person that that isn't of faith. I have deep spirituality in God and creation and all of us in this human experience connected together. And this this doesn't speak to those beliefs I have for myself. Mm-hmm. It, does that? Yeah, there was absolutely. There a huge disconnect. And yeah. I kept wanting to like fit myself into this hole. I was like, please, I'll do anything to just fit myself here. Yeah. So beginning of 2020, I was going through just such a difficult, difficult time just personally. And I, it was like this light switch. And I was like, I just want to live. I just want to be able to try things and try new things and, and, and be free. Mm. And I remember telling this to Andrew and, you know, he was terrified of what that meant for me, oh, I'm you know, sure, like yeah. I'm going to like step out on him or something. Yeah, totally. Which it can I sound did. like that. Yeah. But it can sound like that. It can ring that way. Yeah. But truly it was like, I wanted free thinking. Mm. I wanted to understand how could I think if I wasn't in this construct, mm. I remember the first kind of like gateway, I call it my gateway drug, which was the four agreements. The oh, book, yep. You uh-huh. know? Yeah. And I read it and I was just like, wait, maybe, maybe humanity is like simpler mm. than all of this these rules and these benchmarks and this, these steps and this priesthood and this, this, um, sake, what is it? A saving cut. Co- what is it? Covenants? Saving covenant. Is that Ordinance. Ordinance. Yeah. 
like maybe there's not all these like steps all the time. Yeah. And all this hard work all the time. Yeah. And watching my parents sacrifice so much has been really, really difficult for me personally. Yeah. Um, they're, they love it. They're filled up by it. They, it brings them a lot of light and I think purpose, Mm. but I tell them this all the time. I, it's been really challenging for me to witness what is supposed to be a religion of family sort of take families in different directions. Yeah. To put it kindly. Yeah. And that became increasingly like irritating to me. Yeah. <laughs> like I was like, this makes no sense. And just to clarify there quickly, it doesn't have to be specific, but you're talking about like callings and things like that, that either bring people actually physically away from their families yeah. or, you know, bishops who, even though they might still all, you know, live around family, they're gone all Sunday and then they're gone on Wednesday right. nights and then they're gone on Thursday nights. Yes. Yes. I remember it bringing me a lot of pride at first when, mm. when I was still in it. And then that shifted in the same time where I was like, huh, like this is actually, uh, I'm not, I'm annoyed by this. I, I don't see the, po- I don't, I'm confused by this. Yeah. They're missing all this time with my kids and I know they don't like it either. Yeah. They don't like the missing out of the kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it just became increasingly confusing for me. So mm-hmm. I think it's really hard for me to identify like this. There's not this like, Is there a lot for the people that you talk to? Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like it's more the literal believers have that kind of like crumbling of like, oh, shit, like this wasn't true about this. Okay, then that's not true about that. That's not true about that. Whereas I think for these more intuitive, like you're saying, it's kind of just like, wait, it doesn't feel right. And then you allow yourself to be like, okay, no, it actually doesn't feel right. And I'm going to like explore and then you start exploring and then it kind of like grows and changes. So yeah, I think that that my experience I feel like is more similar to that where it was just kind of like little realizations or yeah, we started trying things. We drank coffee and it was like, hmm, is coffee worse for you than diet coke? Yeah, like little things that seem little, but you kind of just explore and you learn. And then one day I always joke that it's the analogy that the church teaches of the frog in the pot of water. <laughs> That's so insane. I thought about the Isn't frog it? this morning. It really is yes, the frog. I thought about the frog. Yes. And then all of a sudden you're in boiling water and you're like, oh, like, okay, I think I'm out. I didn't even realize, but yeah. here I am. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, it was that way. And I was, it was just a shedding, you know, and as I was finding deeper spirituality within myself, I was doing a lot of work. You know, this, this idea of like, if I'm just more religious, if I'm just more faithful, if I just pray harder, I'll feel better. And I was, I could not feel better. I was in such pain internally that I, I needed something else. Mm -hmm. And I, in, in accessing, you know, energy work and spirituality in a deeper sense. And then eventually plant medicine, I found an actual inner peace that I had never been able to have. Mm. And so I was collecting this evidence of, wow, like there's just more out there for me. And as I came into the knowing of who I was, because I think for so long, like I'd really admire people like you in their twenties who are discovering who they are. And I feel sad that I was limited by that. And whether mm. it was religion or not, who yeah. can ever say? Yeah. I don't, I'm not one to like, it just doesn't feel good to me to 
blame Mormonism for everything. Yeah, totally. Because there's so much that I could blame in the other way, like in good ways. Totally. Yeah, good point. So for me, who's to say our, you know, he talks about in Four Agreements, our conditioning comes from all sorts of places, our community, our families, the food we eat, the where we work like we yeah our conditioning comes from all sorts of directions yeah of course being in a high demand religion it's a huge piece of our conditioning mm-hmm. and I feel bad that I I didn't have the bravery to explore who I really was and so for most of my life I don't know that I was really myself mm. and I was more myself than a lot of people I think that like people would say you're, you're the same now as you were then maybe yeah um but I, I really came into a knowing of myself, and with that came this even more just friction with these religious beliefs. And so I guess at the same time, Andrew was, I think, I wish he was here to speak for himself. I know. So I don't want to speak for I him. I know. I'm going to have Bentley. I'm My dream of dreams is to have Bentley start interviewing Mormon, and Andrew will be one of the first cool. in line. I think he he'd be love, such I a fun interview. Really yeah, I think he'd be great. Um. You know, I mean, he he did all the things he was supposed to do. He was a temple worker. He was he did everything, and then some. Yeah. So I think my questioning and finally being brave enough to say more things to him really um, opened the door and gave him permission to question those things himself. Yeah. I mean, at this time he's thirty seven, thirty eight. You know, he's lived all his life this in this way. Yeah. And, and he did a mission. He did the whole... He did the whole thing. The whole nine yards. Yeah. Yep. And I do remember he was never one to like ask for scripture study or to mm-hmm. conduct family home evening or he was not like this priesthood leader. leader. Yeah. I say that and I, I, I don't even know what that means. Yeah. But I see why it's not like he was like so necessarily maybe intense in like the practice of it. Yeah. Like every Sunday he'd be like, wait, what time is church? Or like every conference he'd be like, what time is conference? I'm like, conference is the same time. It's (laughs) been for 20 years. What are you even saying? 10 to 12, 2 to 4. (laughs) Like I am, what are you saying? Yeah. So I felt like the leader Mm. a lot in our home of like the spirituality. Yeah. And I do want to eventually we, maybe we can talk about Religion and spirituality, those words are just not interchangeable for me yes. anymore. Yeah, same. But for this purpose, I will say like the religious spirituality maybe of our yeah. home. And I felt like I was the leader. So then when I stopped being the leader and I was like, actually, I don't think I know that I want to lead in this way. He then was like, wait, what do I believe? At least that's how I observed it. Yeah, I can see that because for a while, I mean, I think we're also our whole lives as you know, Mormons, even to the point all the way back to the Sunday school lesson, we're doing what everyone else around us is doing. Like, I think of it as a hamster wheel sometimes. A lot of times I think the impetus for people eventually leaving is they have to step off the hamster wheel. And maybe that was a piece of it for him was like, wait, things are changing around the house. And that causes enough space for like stepping back and reflecting. Yeah. Yeah. So he dove all in. He, like he does, he is extreme in that way. Mm. Everything he does, he just got back from a week of snowmobiling. He does hella skiing. Like everything he does is like 10X. Yeah. And he's not a gray kind of guy. He is very in or out. Yes. And I noticed him getting lower and lower Mm. in his mood. 
and he'd spend a lot of time in his headphones and he would be on his computer a lot, writing and reading and reading books. And, you know, I remember like seeing Rough Stone rolling on our nightstand, but like it had Joseph Smith on it. So I was like, it's a church book. Or, yeah. I didn't think twice about it. Yeah. So I think he started to really get into the discovery of his own beliefs regarding the church and he went all in, you know? And I always say like, I, who knows? Like, I don't think now I could be nuanced, mm. but maybe I could be, a, I could have been nuanced forever. I really don't, I really can't say Yeah, just because of how I had already felt where I was like, no, like I'd be in a lesson being like, no, that's not true. No yeah, way. you were used to doing that. Yeah, I was for you, a long time. Totally. I yeah. was completely accustomed to picking and choosing. And he just couldn't do that anymore. And I noticed it like getting it was really, really, really hard on us for a mm, while. I bet. Yeah. I remember saying to him, I don't need to know those things because like I just know it doesn't fit in my life and I don't like the way that it feels. So but like I don't need to know all that. Mm-hmm. So he didn't really talk to me about any of it, which mm. I feel a sense of sadness about that now because that must have been such a lonely journey for him because at the time he really didn't have anybody um, to talk to. Yeah. About how he was feeling. What he was learning. Yeah. Yeah. Because I even then wasn't really open to it because I was like, that's just negativity. Yeah. That's just low frequency. Yeah. I don't want those yeah. vibes. <laughs> and if you're already like, I don't believe it, like then it's kind of like, who cares? I don't need to. Yeah. Yeah. But I can I do that. Yeah, so I think that was a really difficult time. But then eventually, I think the scales tipped and we just got to a more equal place of how we were feeling. And that just took a lot of conversations, a lot of therapy, a lot of like inwardness that then turned to conversations that we had to talk about. And I remember one Sunday, I was getting the kids ready to go. And he was still in bed. And I, I think at this point, it was kind of like I was going like once a month. It's like if we wanted to ski, we would ski. Or if we wanted to – it was just the nuanced way. Yeah, right? you would occasionally go. Yeah, like out. the Easter, Christmas, but also a little bit more. Yeah. Just whenever. At that point, I had been – I had asked to be released from my calling because the la- the last lesson I taught, I just – couldn't even. Yeah. I think I told you're trying you. to like edit out the book, and you're like, "There's nothing I can say." I don't even think I was like. It was like every other word. I was like, "Wait, no, never mind. Uh, no, that's not gonna happen." And then I'm like, "I am a detriment to this place. Like, I'm gonna get kicked out." These kids are like, "Wait, what?" I'm gonna get kicked out because I'm like, if the second coming even happens, that's what it was. The second coming. Yes, it was all yes. about the second coming. I'm like, if that even happens. I didn't even, I didn't say that, but I was just like, well, wait, it's not going to be fiery depths of hell. Like if Jesus is who he says he is and we're saying he is, then it will just, he will just come with so much love and abundance and kindness and wrap you up and we're all going to float away into like this beautiful place. Yeah. This beautiful, magical, twinkly situation. Yes. That's what I want to happen. So, um, yeah, it was not what the manual said. Yeah, Yeah. not what the manual said. (laughs) So that was the, that was the day that I asked, well, like that week I asked to be released Mm. from my calling. It just no longer felt like, and I remember it was a struggle because you had to have two people. Oh yeah. In the room. And Andrew wasn't going anymore. And so, and he was like pretty spotty about going. And I always kind of felt bad about making him go. Like Mm. he was always willing. He's like, whatever you want, babe. Like, if you want me there, I will be there. Like he was so supportive, but I knew 
how he was feeling. And I couldn't ask him to be in a place that brought him so much. At that time, he was really angry. Yeah. And I felt like that was disloyal to him in a sense to not give him supportive, safe places to be at that time of great grieving for yeah. himself. Yeah, absolutely. If that rings true. But yeah. um, <clears throat> so I'd asked to be released, but I remember it was one Sunday and he was like still in bed and I was like getting up to get things ready to go. And I just looked at him and I was like, are you not going to go today? And he's like, I, I will if you really want me to. But to be honest, I never really want to go back there. Wow. And I was like, kind of hit with this ton of bricks because I was like, wait, I thought this is what, I thought this is what we were doing. We were, it was like interesting. I don't know an analogy for it, but kind of like maybe like that game <laughs> leapfrog, like let's bring up frogs again, but like someone's ahead and then someone catches yeah. up and then someone goes here and then, and it's kind of this game a little bit. Like, like we're helping each other just like keep yeah, doing it. Yeah. Or going up the ladder rungs. And it's like, where are we at now? Okay, we're in a different place now. And that took a lot of adjusting. Yeah, it's a big deal. And a lot, even though we were technically on the same page, there were a lot of times we weren't. Totally. And so this was one of those times where I really had to sit with, wait, okay, he's never going to come back here, technically. He yeah. says he would, but what I really forced him to do that. Yeah. No, I wouldn't. So I had to sit with what that would look like. And I know a lot of interfaith or part member couples and marriages. I I, I know I have a few friends in that, that position. That. Yeah. yeah. And I admire that because I don't know how that would have worked for me. Mm-hmm. And so I kept looking at that and thinking, would I be able to take my kids to a place where they felt like something was missing at home. Mm. And that really struck me deep in my core Mm. where I'm looking at this man who has been loyal to me always, who puts his family first, who does everything possible from sunup to sundown for his kids who is fun and kind and charitable and good and generous and all these beautiful things that I didn't know I was looking for yeah. when I was 19. Yeah, and luckily. And I have them now. Yeah. And would I reject him because of his beliefs? I mean, I remember as a young girl being like, that would be the thing that would end our marriage. Oh, yeah. He says that same thing. Like, you could cheat on me, but if you left the church, uh-uh, it's over. Yeah, well, that's the full circle thing <laughs> of when you're talking about being 20, right? And you see this man and he's tall and handsome and he's in the church and yeah. he, you're like, okay, well, there you have it. And how lucky and beautiful it is that he was all these other way more important things as well, right? Yeah. And then you start to see like, well, then what does that church piece really mean? The church is still emphasizing like the best, most important thing to be is someone who goes to church and holds the priesthood. And that can be a difficult thing, I can imagine, for children. I mean, I learned that growing up when my dad wasn't a priesthood holder and wasn't going to church. And it's a really difficult thing to reconcile as a child to be told, okay, your father is not being, even if they're lovely and beautiful in every way, they're not doing the one thing that they need to do, which is show up for church and, you know, keep those commandments. And you felt an emptiness with that. Yeah. I think I was able pretty early on to unsubscribe. 
I love that word that you use. So it caused me less discomfort because I was kind of just like, no, <laughs> he's great. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> like I don't yeah, know what you're saying. I was like, that's dumb, <laughs> and that yeah. like isn't real. But of course, there's still confusion there. And then I went on my mission, and then I started being like, oh, now I need to like reconvert my dad, and like I should feel like I should, even though in my heart I was like, he doesn't. That's silly, you know. All that to say, I think that's a really cool realization to be like, wait, what's the scale, you know? And then on the other hand, there can be these worthy priesthood holders that are shitty dads. I'm sorry, but they are, or they are, you know, unfaithful or what have you. And you just realize those things don't, what I'm trying to say is those things don't equate goodness, but we're taught that since we're little girls and we're writing our list. They're the same thing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) There's so much there. Yeah. There's so much there because I feel like in the deconstruction of all of this, Andrew has had, and me, we both, I've had to do such deep inner work to know our self-worth outside of this, which is so interesting because it's a religion of teaching about self-worth. All these young women values and teaching you divine nature and all these, you're a daughter of God and you're all these beautiful, wonderful things if you do it our way. That's how it feels to me. And that to me is something that's really painful still Mm -hmm. is to feel like, I don't think anyone would say it's in question, but it certainly feels that way. Yeah, absolutely. I can so relate. I think there's the conditionality of it feels really, I wonder sometimes, man, like what what could I be like if I didn't learn these conditions on my own self-worth? And that's a really heavy thing to sit with and to think, man, I'm going to be spending so much of my life doing the work which is beautiful and I think that can be a beautiful journey but I'm like oh my gosh some people don't grow up learning that there's conditions on (laughs) these things and that's even with loving wonderful parents and all these other elements that I think kind of even challenged those conditions from the beginning but still it's deep in the heart and in the soul (laughs) it's like cellular level yeah absolutely and I think I have a unique perspective because I'm adopted Mm. as well. So these layers are very, very, very deep for me of self-worth and knowing who I am and coming into this knowing. Yeah. And so now I'm deep in it and I feel so protective of continuing on. I'm 38 years old and I want to live a life that's true to me and that feels good to me. Yeah. And that's really hard being surrounded by all that we are surrounded by Mm -hmm. and to continually choose into my own experience versus what everyone else would probably like me to do. Probably make them more comfortable if we would just choose. Like, what's the big deal? Just do it. Yeah. That's sometimes how it feels. Yeah, totally. Like we, and what's even funnier and even funnier layers, like Andrew and I both, I would say are very like Andrew, especially is Everyone who meets him absolutely adores him. Mm-hmm. He's the easiest person to love. Yes. And so he's not trying to be difficult. Totally. He and would prefer not to be difficult yes, if he could. Yes, yeah. if he could, but he's also true to who he is. He has not ever told a lie yeah. in his life. He is like accountable to himself to a fault. And so it's interesting to watch as the people around him try to navigate. He has not changed he really has not changed. I have not changed. 
he's just now himself in a new version. And he never was living for anyone else before. And he's not going to do it now. Yeah. <laughs> like that is still the same. Yeah. And it's such a good person to be married to because he gives me bravery and courage to do that same thing, mm. to be who I am. That's really beautiful to hear because it sounds like you were talking about that like leapfrog game. It sounds like at different times you were kind of like, you know, someone was taking the reins to just keep it in. But it also sounds like in a lot of ways you pushed each other too, because it sounds like your questioning is what ultimately gave him permission to discover. And I think that's really lovely that even though it's not always step for step, you're kind of like helping each other get to what you now feel is like your authentic selves. Yeah. And we're really on, we really are together and on the same page. And I think, you know, it's kind of what we're taught in the church, which is like that being loyal to your husband above all else, you know, And sometimes I wish the people in our lives could see that so much of this journey has been like that for me, like Mm. is learning. We're allowed to have differences. Andrew and I are very different people. But when it came to this, this very big thing, it's the way a whole family is structured. It's what they do weekly. It's what they do bi-weekly, like in the middle of the week. Like it's in it's enmeshed into every part of a family's life Yes, to have that be so different. Like I owed it to him to, to look at it. Mm. I felt that deep in my soul and ultimately I had the choice. Absolutely. Like he, you know, I think it's interesting, this idea in the church of like, and maybe it's the idea in the world, but I learned it from the church as like influence, like a bad or good influence. Yeah. 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 And navigating that and like, I don't place any blame on him and he does not place any blame on me. Like we are married. We are the closest relationship we have in this life. And of course you're going to influence each other as you should. Yes. I think about that a lot because when I told my mom I left the church, she caught herself and she's been phenomenal. But she said, yeah, I wonder because so many of my friends had left. And she kind of insinuated, were you influenced by your friends? And then she said, but I know you and I know that you do you, you know, which was such a gift for her to say that. But I th- I've thought a lot about that because I know a lot of people get met with that, especially when spouses leave and in-laws get involved. And it's like, well, you left because your wife left and then they're mad at the wife or vice versa. Uh-huh. And it's so interesting to me because I think, of course, you're influenced by the people you're around and you've chosen to be around certain people because you admire them and you respect them. And it's not to say that you're just going to do whatever they do. But I think it's really beautiful that if someone in your life is like, oh, I'm like, you know, thinking in this way about something that you listen and maybe you agree, maybe you disagree. But I think it's so silly to say, oh, you were just influenced or you're just following the crowd. It's like, no, there was people I were I was around that raised interesting points or said interesting things that I chose to listen to and that yeah, affected my journey, of course, (laughs) you know? Right. And for a long time, I wouldn't look at it and I wouldn't. I wouldn't hear, and it's not like he was trying, you know, but I never gave him an open space to like share his feelings about things. Mm -hmm. And how is that healthy? That feels really unhealthy to me now. Mm. And so even if I was afraid of it, we're just taught so long that we can't look at it. Yes. And so that conditioning was so real for me. Yeah. Where I was just like, "Mm -mm -mm, it's okay. I don't want to look at it. Yeah. Don't need to see it. Don't need to know. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever delve into like the history and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I think that that eventually 
what moved me from having surety was knowing, knowing some more facts and knowing some more, because we can easily disassociate that too. Like anytime Andrew brings it up with anyone, I'm like, please don't bring up polygamy because every Mormon can just like, there's so many answers. Like, there's yeah. no, like that's not, that's just not even the half of it yeah. or a percentage of it. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's bad, but like, yeah. there's just so much other than that, that just felt like it solidified sort of a new testimony for me mm-hmm. of, of, you know, where I want to go and what kind of spirituality do I want to have and what kind of home do I want to have? And, you know, it's a lot harder to be raising these kids without this form. I think it's better. I think it's enriched our lives. We have a lot more peace and I know I personally have a lot more peace, which I know that that I bring that frequency into my home Mm -hmm. and that matters. And there's a oneness between Andrew and I that has never been there before that brings that kind of harmony into our home. Mm -hmm. But, but I don't have this place to send my kids where I'm like, okay, we're all going to go collectively learn about kindness. Okay. We're all going to collectively go learn about honesty. It became this place where I had to pick apart too many things And I'm not an idiot. I know they're going to be subject to many, many, many ideas. I want them to be. Yeah. I just want them to have as much choice as they can in the Mm, matter. Yeah. Let's talk about this reconstruction phase. Yeah. Because you mentioned this as we were voice memoing, and I loved what you had to say about it. You're saying that you eventually realized, okay, I can take my kids to church and they can learn about love, but then I'm also going to have to tell them that this condition on love is not true. And this, there was too much kind of unpacking around certain principles. Well, yeah, like how would it look if if your dad's drinking coffee and we had to have all these conversations? Yes. You know, we had to have these conversations because there were things in our home that weren't there before. Mm-hmm. And those things had been taught that those are not good things, Mm -hmm. that those are things that keep us from God. Mm -hmm. So that's scary for a child to look in the face and be like, wait, my dad. And that must have been so terrifying for you with your dad's addiction because it's like, wait, not only is he an addict, which is hard enough. Yeah. Now it's like keeping him from God. Totally. How incredibly tragic to really actually feel that way. Totally. And literally the presence of, and this is coming from Provo girly for my whole life, but (laughs) like seeing a cup of coffee, like scared me, legitimately scared me. Like alarm bells, like bad, wrong, dangerous coffee. Andrew has a story of like going with the painters. Like he was like painting houses or something Mm. and they all were smokers. Yeah. And he got in the car and he thought he was going to like smelling the smoke. He's like, I'm going to these people will murder me. Yeah. Like this is evil, like (laughs) dangerous evil. Yeah. I didn't necessarily have that because I was surrounded by it so much just in, you know, air culture then there was a lot of smoking and so, and coffees and different things. So, but I know it in different ways, alcohol for sure. Drugs for sure. Totally. I'm like, y'all are going to hell. Yeah. This is the only way. Totally. (laughs) Totally. It's, it's crazy now looking back, but we've had to have these conversations with our kids about, I just couldn't keep saying like, oh, well, never mind about that and erase your memory about that. And oh my gosh, no, not on that. You know, Mm -hmm. I, it just became too overwhelming for me, truthfully. And probably confusing for kids too. 
how have you replaced that? Like, how do you feel like the rituals, the spirituality in your home, what does that look like now? Well, I want to speak to anyone that's like in the abyss of it. Mm. It's really hard when you're in the nothing. Yeah. When you're in the, in the dark, I would just cry and wish I could believe it all again. Mm. I would cry and be like, please, like, I would just, please let me, like, I just want to forget everything I know. And I, let's just go back. And I remember there was one Easter in particular that I, it was probably like a couple years ago Mm. and it was kind of my last big trigger and I'm sure more will come. But that day I was just like, well, what are we supposed to do today? What does this all even mean? Yeah. Like, how do I create? There just felt like there was so much more pressure on me. And so I have a lot of empathy for moms, especially in that place where they feel like, I don't even know what I believe. How am I supposed to like guide these kids to something they're supposed to believe? Yes. And make meaning out of these holidays that used to be so deeply meaningful. I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. And so, um, And so I just have a lot of empathy for that. And it just takes one thing at a time. Mm. Just like building habits does, you have to rebuild new habits and new ways of seeking spirituality and what that looks like for you. And that it's okay to take a minute for yourself. You are teaching your kids about goodness by the way you're living your life. You are teaching your kids about honesty by the way you deal with others and kindness and charity. All those things are in place already. Well, have full body chills. <laughs> oh, good. I needed to hear that. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I think sometimes the church takes what is good about people and hijacks it yeah. and says, we only have it. Well, yeah. And that's really unfair. Yes. To all people who have that goodness, who have that light, whether you call it the light of Christ or a soul or whatever speaks with you, mm-hmm. that's within all of us. Yeah. Religious or not. Yeah. I love that so much too, because I'm just thinking about all those layers. You just laid it out so simply where of course there's so much value. I'm not saying there's not in learning stories about inspiring people. And I'm just thinking about growing up, learning to admire Nephi when like really the most admirable person was my mom. The most honest person, the most loving person was my mom, my sisters, my dad. Yeah. It's to your point, you've said this in multiple ways, multiple times, like it's less complicated. The best thing we can probably be, I know the best thing you can be for your child is just to like be your authentic self and do your best and own up when you don't do your best. And I think that's such an inspiring message, especially to moms who are like, it's hard enough to be a mom. It's hard enough with the layers of societal guilt and all the things but just to be told like you're already doing it you're teaching them those things by the way you're living that's such a powerful message well I think that's I loved what you said because I think that's where we landed was like look we're not sure how we're going to move forward with this we've never done this before Mm -hmm. and we have a lot of resistance around us a lot of people don't like it some days I don't like it some days I'm like I just rather conform because I'm a deep 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 people pleaser yeah And trust me when I say I'm not trying to create problems. Yeah. But what could I give my kids more than deep, deep, unabiding, just unwavering honesty in myself and living completely authentic to myself and using my voice and standing firm in who I am 
there, there is no gift I can give them that is greater than that. Yeah. Because that teaches them it's okay to be you. And I would never want my kids to live one day of their life for me. I, that would make me so, so, so sad. Yeah. And that's what I ended up with was like, wait, I'm going to live for me because I know that that is good. I'm a good person. And, and hopefully one day you'll live for you and because you're good. And you don't have to make decisions and go places and do things just because you think I'll like it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there is so much of, at least for me, speaking personally, so much of my life I did live for the community, for, yeah, not even necessarily my parents, but just because to your point, it's like, I thought that's what I needed to do to be a good person. And I think that's something that so many people who have deconstructed or are deconstructing can relate to is feeling like, oh, I really am living for myself. And it's scary, but it's really exciting and really beautiful too. Yeah, it is when you can come out this other side, because I really believe, and I don't know if this is your experience, Mm. that there is another side. I think there's a middle ground. Living nuanced was way more painful for me. Agreed. Trying to filter, I, I I always described it as like, especially with ADD, like as like a like a Rolodex, mm. like a file folder kind of thing. Yeah, where I was like constantly like like the end of solitaire, you know. Uh-huh. My friend Krista yeah, was telling when me it that all the goes other day. Over the screen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. all the cards. I was, I was actually in a ketamine treatment last week, and she was like saying that to me, and I'm like, yes, that's Ooh. like how it is. I'm like, it's like constantly like sifting mm-hmm. sifting sifting what is true what is not true what is mm-hmm. not true that place was way more challenging for me and way more depressing than this other place of like it's okay to change it's okay to be open to new things it's okay if one day i want to go back to church i don't see that for me but like this openness but you could. Yeah. of like what is truth and what is my truth and and i'm ready to explore it that's so fun And I don't want a ceiling for my kids on their beliefs. And I know active Mormons don't like hearing that there is one. I can't speak to their experience, Mm -hmm. but I can speak to mine. And I felt that there was a ceiling on what I could even dream about. Mm -hmm. And there's been a lot of grief in that for me because I just couldn't think farther than what I thought people wanted me to do. Yeah. I, I don't know how to say that in a positive way that people aren't going to find some discomfort with. I get it. And I think, I think your disclaimer is all you can say, right? Which is like, that doesn't mean that that is period, the end, the experience of being a Mormon. It's not. How could we ever say that? It was also mine. And I think it's important that we also feel allowed to say that was my experience. I feel like Mormonism for me was a box that has felt so empowering and beautiful to step out of and given me a realm of possibilities I never even knew existed. And that has been my experience as well. And it is, I think, really important to say that too, especially for people who you you were just speaking to before. There is a long period of time where it doesn't feel that way. It didn't for me, where you're just like, I'm going back. Yeah. I've, this is bad. Yes. I messed up. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> what? This is it? Like, okay, this is life. And like, what does this all mean? Yeah. And, and yes, I think that it's really important to speak to 
that other side, which is not, to your point as well, a finality of, well, now I know this and now this is true and that's true. But just being like, oh, like, I don't even have to worry about capital T truth in the same way. That's a relief. It is. And I in, in you saying that, I just realized about me that I'm in post-Mormonism the way that I was in Mormonism, which mm. is just nothing is black and white. Nothing is real. Everything is up for debate. I can think about whatever I want to think. And I can pick and choose. Like it's, I'm the same person, but I find that I like myself more. I like my thoughts more. I... I let them freely wander where they want to be. Mm-hmm. And in that, I just I am in a cool discovery of who I am. And that's been been really rewarding for me. I still can't put the bows on things I really like. Like when we lost Adam, I I thought this is really hard because I don't know what's next now. And I know you I listened to your podcast about your dad. It's yeah. like that felt nice. That felt really freaking nice. Yeah, I agree. To be like, well, we're going to see him again. And we're going to be in heaven together again. But what I've seen is, and what Andrew and I talk a ton about, is like with a lot of the people that we love, there is this next phase. And we're going to figure it out then. We're not going to figure it out now. And what's cool is I feel like I'm really in in an awareness of what is now. And cherishing that. I find that like I crave more time with my parents that are overseas still, but I want to be with them. I, I want to hear what they have to say. I want to call my mom because there's not, I don't know if there's a next step together. Totally. And I love our togetherness now and I want to like soak that up. And I, yeah, I feel that way with my kids. I, I just feel that in a new sense, I guess. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it pushes you into the present moment and it allows you to explore the richness, which I think is a huge part of my spirituality now, the richness of the unknown. And even with my dad recently passing, thinking about death has both been devastating, terrifying, dark, mm, yeah, and also really beautiful and wonderful to wonder. You know, I don't know. So what could it be like? And what are the possibilities And what are the things that other people think? And what are people's near-death experiences? And what did they learn from those? That's been actually a really nice thing to have an exploration and a curiosity. I think there's a lot of richness there. And I think in that exploration of the unknown, we learn a lot about ourselves and our values and our priorities, which then again pushes us back into the present, to your point of, okay, I don't know what happens after this. But what I do know is my family's really important to me. So I'm going to prioritize that now. I really appreciate hearing from you as a woman who's a couple steps ahead of me because you have children who are cognizant of these things. Yeah. And not to say that you're saying it's all perfect and fine and dandy, but to see like, oh, like you're doing it with kids who are older. How old's Quinn now? 13? 12? 15. He's 15? Yes. Oh my gosh, I babysat him. I know. When he was like three. Oh no, he's so cute. He has like upper lip hair. Oh my gosh, his little mustache. Yeah, and I, you know, I I do want to say like it it was challenging because we had brought them into this space. Yeah. Ruby really never went because of 2020. So Mm. she didn't really experience it very much. Lolly a little bit. And you know, it's funny because Lolly is like, I want to get baptized. And I'm like, tell me more about why you want to get baptized. Yeah. 
and she wants the dress and she wants the pictures and you know she's nine now so it, yeah of course it's come and gone but her friends are doing it and so we're constantly going to be faced with these questions and Quinn will sometimes go to like the young men's activities if they're like playing games I'll be like tell me more about what they're doing tonight you know I yes. I have a a is feeling. it basketball or is it? Yeah. Are you going to the temple? You've yeah. never done, you know? And I don't know. I think it's really cool to have had these conversations and forced us into an openness that is very sacred mm. for our family. And there's been many, many conversations at the kitchen table where, you know, Andrew is in tears and I'm in tears and we're showing our kids like the rawness of how this has felt for us. Mm-hmm. And that it's not some flippant, like, we just we just want to do this and yeah. we just want to party like that i like people who think that are delusional <laughs> truly delusional because wow it's a much bigger decision than that you yes. could just go and do that and still go to church absolutely so it's been really cool and sacred to like open up to our big kids and talk to them i mean we talk with all the time we're always checking in about how are you feeling about church do you want to go to church how do you, do you miss you know, you know your cousins are doing it they're very, they're immersed in this culture yeah living here it's all around yeah and we just keep it really really open and you know we didn't give Lolly the choice I mean initially it was kind of like an, an a choice mm-hmm. and then it became that Andrew really felt strongly that like he actually wouldn't let her be baptized yeah too young yeah so that flipped a little bit through the process. And I think that's just more of that leapfrogging where we're just kind of adjusting to how we're doing it. I mean, no one knows how to parent. Yeah. Anyway. It's true. (laughs) Everyone's figuring it out as we go. So this is another layer of figuring it out as we go. But I think one thing that's been really, really good for us that if you're listening and you're kind of looking for that next rebuild of spirituality, and I'm no expert, but I think having families and friends, finding those communities has been really, really, really helpful for us. Mm-hmm. We have family friends that have left the church and and it's good. You know, initially Sundays were super painful for me. They felt really lost. And now there's a structure around them that I really like. Mm. And that includes people that we love. That includes nature. It includes like we do this lesson, Uplift Kids, every week. And it's completely secular, but it talks about these values. Values, yeah. And leading my kids through a lesson, like it feels good. It feels familiar. It feels like my dad teaching family home evening. I love the feeling of it. Mm -hmm. And so I still take from Mormonism the things that I love in a sense, and I implement them at home, which is family togetherness. And, and that feels really, really good in our, in our rebuild of our spirituality. I love that. Those rituals are so powerful. And that is a lesson for Mormonism. Like, I when I think about my childhood, I think about these traditions that they weren't yeah. they were connected to Mormonism. They didn't necessarily have to be though. And I'm so grateful for them, even though they were connected to Mormonism, because the that was my togetherness. That was where I was learning and the family dinners and you know, your parents teaching you what they think is important. I think that's such a really, really important message too, because it's just speaking to that rebuilding of doesn't have to be that you're all listlessly wandering around on a Sunday. <laughs> you can like yeah. implement some yes. some things. Yeah. And I I felt that way for a while. Like, mm. wow, wait, this this is no wonder we I liked church because it gave us this moment together and getting dressed up. Andrew and I were talking about this last night. 
like the getting dressed up. The being I miss together. getting dressed up. I miss it. <laughs> I know we do. My girls hardly own any dresses I know. anymore. And I'm just like, that ritual feels good. Yeah, it, it does. It feels good. Yeah. And we may find that ritual in something in the future, but little by little we're building in new rituals and it feels really, really good. Good. And really Sundays are now just like such a favorite cherished time for me. And I remember being super terrified of them. Yeah. Honestly. Like, yeah. how will I feel tomorrow? And a lot of post-Mormons I've talked to have a that similar experience with mm-hmm. Sunday. Just because it's such a ritual from start to finish. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad you spoke on that. I was going to go. It didn't work out. But on Sunday, my cousin had a farewell talk. And we were planning on going and it didn't work out because things were too crazy. But I was like, damn, I really wanted to wear that cute dress I have. Like, when am I going to wear that dress? And like, there's something specific. Like, of course, we can still get dressed up. But I'm like, there's something specific about I was craving church, honestly, because my life's kind of hectic right now. And it was interesting to take a beat and be like, oh, A, that's what's happening. And B, that's okay. It's okay that I miss like waking up and getting dressed and getting in the car and going to church. Like that's normal. I think we'll have that our whole lives. But it is so nice to know that there's things that can fill in those gaps and without some of those conditions that we spoke about earlier. Yeah. I mean, what you're feeling is like grounding. Like Mm. the church feels grounding to you. That's an overarching because it doesn't in many ways make you feel grounded. Yeah. Let's just say the act of going makes Mm. you feel grounded. And so it's finding new ways, if you want, if you want to go to church and it grounds you, but it's finding new ways to ground into who you are and these new rituals that I've found so much peace in because I was the same way. Like it wasn't that I missed that. I missed this sense of grounding. Yeah, I love that. And like coming into myself. I don't even know that I was doing that in church. I was wrangling everybody. But that is a ritual that, I really miss too. I want you to speak to one more thing. Sure. Which this is something you said when you voice memoed me. And I love how you said it because you were talking about teaching your kids. And you said, it's nice to feel like you have more control. And then you corrected and you said, choice. Mm. And I that just stood out to me so clearly. If you could just speak to that a little bit more, because I think we want control as parents. But I love how you said, actually, it's choice as far as to like, not controlling what they learn and what they know, but having a little bit more choice around that. If you could speak to that as it compares to what you felt was happening like with church stuff. Yeah. I th- I think about like, you know, Lolly loves to dance. She is at a really intense dance studio and she would just do more and more if she could. Always more and more and more. And at what point do I step in and I say, I know she wants to do more. She loves to do more. But at one point am I the parent that I'm like, you got to sleep. You got to eat good foods. I miss you. There has to be balance. I want you to be home. At what point do I step in and I'm like, I have a choice here. She Mm. has a choice, but she's also nine. Yeah. Right? And I look at that with our relationship with the church where, you know, they might like parts of it. It might be an easier way to go. It might, in a sense, like it gives them something to do for a couple hours on a Sunday, Mm -hmm. whatever. But I want more choice in the matter. I want more choice in how they're being shaped. And they're going to be shaped in a million different ways. But the choice of bringing that back into my home and really like navigating, they'll have a whole lifetime ahead of me where they can make even more choices Mm -hmm. and be exposed to more things. But for now, I, I have more of a choice than I think I realized. 
And, you know, like the homeschool moms, like they're not thinking they're just never, their kids are never going to be exposed to the F word by keeping them home. Yeah. But they just want maybe a little more choice or whatever their intention is of like keeping them home and not at school. I look at it the same Mm. way, truthfully. Yeah. It's having a little more choice in how I teach them and what they're learning and being educated in. And that's, that's like the privilege that I have. Yeah. And the choice that I have, truthfully, yeah. as their mom. I love that framing because I think already as a mom, I sense, con- I mean, I know I'm controlling, I can, I can be controlling in my marriage and already as a mom, I sense those tendencies. And I think it's nice to think about choice and not only choice in the home as to what you are teaching, but also it sounds like you offer your children an appropriate level of choice. Yeah. And to your point, yes, does a nine-year-old, can it all be on the table? No. But you're still offering them choices and exploration. I love what you said about Lolly with baptism. It's like, well, why? And is there maybe another way we can do the dress and the photos? Yeah. I would love to do a photo shoot for you without having to make a covenant. Exactly. That you're vastly unaware of what that even means. Exactly. So... Yeah, I think people think some some outside people may think that our home is a free for all. Like mm. we're letting our kids choose whatever they want mm-hmm. whenever they want and there's like whatever it is. Yeah. But it is a balance between their choices and my choices. Mm-hmm. And leaning into that trust of myself and trust in them. Like speaking to like that ceiling, it's been fun to watch Quinn be like I don't know if I want to go on a mission. I've been thinking about going to the Naval Academy and like mm. things I would have never, like Andrew would have never said those things. No, it was like, I'm going option. on a mission. So whether we think we're giving our kids choice in the church or not, I don't, I don't know that we did or are. Yes. I know I wasn't. Well, the and choices sh- were kind of laid out for exactly. them. Exactly. And no matter what you're saying at home, they're learning so much that you're now having more choice over the things they're being exposed to. And if you don't want them exposed to conditional ideas about worth, then you can choose not to. And that's what you've done. This is such a beautiful story. I feel like we could talk forever more. We didn't even touch. I always do this. And I feel like we didn't even touch on the business side of it, which I'll have you on again. And we can talk all about women in business, women in business in Utah. I feel like there's so much there. I know. Which I feel like is such a funny recurring thing for your podcast. Lots of plant medicine. You're being called. Yes, I know. (laughs) Yeah, stay tuned. Into the woods. I am. But I loved this. I loved being able to chat with you. I think you're so wise and so insightful. And I've always felt, even like I said at the the beginning, back when I met you, I've always sensed from you like, a little bit of pushing against boundaries in a way that I don't think women always feel allowed to do. And I know that that means so much for so many women. So thank you. And thanks for coming to Girls Camp. Thanks. Thanks. Have the best time. Bye. G-I-R